Uh, Lawrence Maroney played for the University of Minnesota. He rushed for over a thousand yards his first three seasons, got trapped in the first round by the New England Patriots, played a huge role in their undefeated 2007 season. And he's the founder of LM39, a nonprofit organization he started in 2015, I think it was. And no, 2006. 2006, you started that? Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So I started it the same year I got uh, drafted. Um, and then did, I think we uh, went all the way into 2012 with my events that I was doing. And then, uh, you know, uh, re then it fell off because I had went through my little issues and reestablished it back in this year of 23. Okay. All right, cool. And that's um, the organization uh, provides support and purposes to help under, underprivileged kids, uh, help them. It says, I uh, looked on your website mentally, physically, on and off the field. So you're just working with kids in your hometown and you're in St. Louis right now? Yes, sir. All right, cool, cool. Good. So, uh, all right, well, I got a lot of questions for you, my man. So we're gonna hopefully see. I got some good answers for all you. All right, we're going <laughs> to see, right? So you, you started off at uh, Normandy High School, right? Yes. And you played more than one sport. Yeah, so I, um, you know, you know, when we, you know, growing up, you, you, you watched Jerry Rice, some of the greats, and one thing that always stuck with me that Jerry Rice said that if long as you in shape, you never have to get in shape. And so I did every sport because I never wanted to get out of shape. And so I did uh, football, basketball, track uh, all year round to stay in conditioning so I didn't have to have to get into conditioning <laughs> I hear that so the success you have in all those sports was football obviously your primary sport um if I tell you the truth baseball was technically my best primary sport right uh I just think at that time football had my heart right and so I was Football was a learned sport for me, and that's why I'd be so blessed and be so proud of it because uh, if you wouldn't believe, I was never a big kid. I played offensive line and defensive line in, in Little League, and I was, wasn't even big. And so I never even played running back until my freshman year in high school. And wow. it was probably out of a 10-game season, it was probably the sixth game of the season when they finally decided to put me at running back. And so for me, football was always a learned sport. But naturally, from Little League, I was just great at baseball. Wow. And so once I got to high school, uh, I, I went out for my baseball team. And that didn't work out. And then I went to track, and which is it, it kind of sucks because you put two great sports in the same seasons and make a person have to pick and choose. And so it's like I knew I wanted to play football even though I knew baseball was my best primary sport. And so I did track because I knew track was going to help me be a better football player. So that's how it was. But yeah, baseball was really my best sport. Wow. It's crazy. Who, who had the biggest influence you influence on your life when you were younger? Uh, my mother, she was always my biggest fan, biggest supporter. Uh, my inspiration of just watching her work, tirelessly every day to provide for me and still coming home, taking me all over the city from this practice to that practice, showing up to every game, not missing a, a game of practice and really just watching her raise me and raise my brothers and sisters. 
uh, it, it just gave me the motivation to help try to change our situation. What would you say is probably one of the best things you learned from your mom that you carry with you today? Oh yeah, that's easy. Uh, and I tell, and I tell my kids, and the one thing that she always told me, um, the only person that's going to stop you is you. And and I live by them words. Um, and and I and I knew I wasn't going to let nothing or nobody stop me. And if I wasn't going to become, if I wasn't going to become successful, it wasn't going to be because somebody else uh, stood in my way. It was because I stopped myself. And so I tell my kids that hey, we can be whatever we want to be, and only you going to stop it if, if if that's if it ain't gonna happen so she always told me that and i live by it die by it yeah i mean i always say you know we're, we're our own worst enemy right so you know we put steel <laughs> ourselves and yeah no doubt so and what would you say who would you say kind of moving through your career who would you say has been an influential you know maybe someone that you looked up to whether it be someone on the team or a coach or like who, who really had an impact on you you know your growth as you started to get older um that's a great question. So, you know, most times it'd be always a coach. I didn't really have like my coaches were were good for 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 their reasons they was good at. I think uh for me it was just my family and me and, and myself just me wanting to change uh my situation. You know, I, I see what our situation is and I and, and I just wanted more from life. And so I held myself at a higher standard because I wanted more. I didn't, I just didn't want the normal life that everybody was living that I seen in my future. Cause I'm watching it, all my family's future. And it's like, no, I want to do something different. So for the driving force was really just me and, and me and my family and just wanting to just have something better and more. What were you trying to change? What was so tough? Uh, the upbringing, like we, you know, I'm not saying we was poor at, at all. I'm not pulling that story. Like we was poor, but we didn't we didn't have the, the the best housing or the best uh financial backing you know i didn't have all the the good name brands and all the things but i had all the necessities that i needed to survive as a kid and so it's just i just wanted more you know we grew up in a 800 square foot home two bedroom one bath uh me and my sister at one point and then me and my brother at another point so it was just always i just wanted better i just wanted more like, so you know, I wasn't sudden, content. You go to college, you absolutely crush it at Minnesota. And three years in, you're like, I'm out. I can go to the NFL. I mean, here's the payday. I mean, like, I think about today with the NIL, kids are getting paid. Oh, my God. Don't please don't get me started on that. I listen. I want I want back pay. <laughs> like, I know, like, I, you know, I, please, I, I want retroactive pay. It's tough. You know, like I um, I'm involved at Ohio State and with some of the teams and it's unbelievable how much it's changed everything. And I think about the kids and the guys who didn't get that opportunity. Right. And it's sad. It really is sad. And um, I could see why, and again, maybe you could tell us and you can share a little bit about your decision. Was it a no brainer for you? Like, I mean, you got drafted in the first round, right? So like you, <laughs> you knew you could go. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I was scared. So really, honestly, it wasn't even thought on my mind after my, after my junior year. Right. Uh, it was more so of factors throughout the season. Like me and my head coach, uh, Glenn Mason, we're, we're, we're good. But, you know, it was just a lot of things that was I can see and the people that was on the team can see. It was to where it made me question about coming back from my senior year because a lot of things he was doing, it was 
like the to the public guy, you wouldn't see it. You was like, oh, it, it's a great relationship there. But he was doing little things to where it was like, I have an option to come back, and he's really playing me without playing me right now. So what's gonna happen when this is my senior? What is he gonna do? And it was just more so. It was a lot of that that really helped make my decision. It wasn't even about the money because it was like I love college and. I was getting so much love in college and uh long as I was on campus, so much stuff was free. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people around because of the great things I was doing, they was real big supporters. So it was like, at that point, I didn't even need money in college, you know? Uh, so I wasn't in the rush <laughs> to right. go into the real world. You what know? happens? Do you, do you like, do you go out and get an agent? Do people start coming at you? How does that work? Yeah. Uh, so you know, for me, it, it works different for everybody. But I, I think I had a nice little name for myself, built a nice brand for myself, and you, you know, um, you just start seeing agents pop up at games. And hey, you know, if you want to come out, we want to represent you. And then, like I say, it wasn't even me coming out wasn't even a thought on my mind because the previous year, uh, my running teammate Marion Barber, rest in peace to my brother. Um, he he left, and we had we basically was doing identical numbers. As, as far as rushing and he went in the fourth round and it was like, well, what makes me better than him? You know? So it was, I definitely was in no rush to go. Cause I was really nervous because it was just like, I just watched my brother that I know he's great going the fourth round. And right. we have literally identical numbers. And it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then, like I say, uh, when the bowl game happened and just just that whole my whole junior year it was just a lot of off on the field behind the scenes stuff that was frustrating so when the camera asked me it was really just a uh, just a sporadic answer yeah I'm leaving and it wasn't even like you know because it's like I, I, I felt like I was put in the hot seat I wouldn't even it wasn't even no thought I wasn't even quite sure if I wanted to leave but I, it was like I put it out there in the air now and so it was like uh, at that point, we just got to roll with the punches. And so um, a lot of agents was definitely coming to the games and wanting to represent me and, and had to go through that process. And so uh, it turned out great for me. Uh, but it was sporadic, though. So walk me through, like, did you? when did you know you were going to go? Like, you get the call. Like, how does that work in the draft? Oh, man. So throughout, throughout the training process, when I was going through the training um, process, um, I remember Mel Kuyper had me going 30th to Indianapolis, late first round. And so uh, I figured I was going in the first round. And I was like, late first round? I don't even know that many backs better than me. But, hey. And so I remember on draft day, I was at the Herb Hoover Boys and Girls Club, the Boys and Girls Club I attended in St. Louis when I was growing up. Um I remember I was in the gym. I was the draft started, and I, I think like the first four or five picks I set in front of the TV. All right, my name ain't getting called. I'm, I'm not trying to be one of them people just staring at the TV and then day one go by and my name not called. So I decided to start playing basketball. So I go in there and start playing basketball. I gave my phone to somebody else. And I wasn't even watching the draft no more. It was like, it's going to be what it's going to be because it's out of my control at this point. Right. Uh, I remember somebody just bringing me my phone 
And I was like, who is that? He was like, I don't know. Somebody asked him for you. So I pick up the phone and what's funny, it was Bill Belichick. I was like, he was like, yeah, this Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots, uh, we're on the clock. We have the 21st pick. We're considering picking you, but hold on. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> and so I think, you know, that two minute hold on at that time to me felt like 10, 15 minutes. Right. Me, I felt like he had me on hold for too long to where it's like, man, I should hang up, but I'm not. Um, and I remember he uh, get back on the phone and he was like, yeah, we're going to take you with the 21st pick. And so I'm hearing it and it does, it's, it's not even registered or sitting in right now, but I'm walking back to the front where everybody's at that's sitting in front of the TV. And so I'm hearing him on the phone say, yeah, we're going to take you. And he was like, how do you feel about being a patron? I was like, man, it feels great. He was like, well, congratulations. Then Craft uh, gets on the phone, say a few things. Belichick get back in and, and start breaking down the do's and don'ts uh, of their program. And I'm like, wow. And so I, I'm still on the phone. And then I sit down in the chair and uh, the commissioner comes out with the 21st pick. New England Patriots takes Lawrence Maroney. And I'm talking about the whole place erupts. And I think once I actually heard it on the TV, that's when realization kicked in, like, wow, it's happening. Right. Dreams, dreams coming true is happening. Was it was it an absolute culture shock? I mean, like your life changed overnight, right? It did technically, but not overnight. You know, I think I didn't even get my first check until Right. almost training camp so but the the thought of your life changing overnight yeah it did right. and um but there's, as far as the money it didn't come yet <laughs> but it did because it's just uh, like how much of a culture shark was that the financial aspect of like you get your check right you get your big pay you get your signing bonus you have a contract you know you got to perform you want to perform and you're ready you know like you're you're going in i mean look you and you kicked off a pretty solid start i mean you really had an impressive start and then I, I, I my heart breaks when i was watching all the highlights and everything in 2007 it's like oh my gosh that last game it's just nuts like i want to talk we'll, we'll go through a little bit of that but um was the financial impact of it what you thought it would be or after everything said and done and taxes and everything you got to do, you're just like, holy cow, it's, it's actually not what I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to tell you a quick funny story, and I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. So I remember my signing bonus was supposed to be a million dollars, right? And so when I go into the office to get this million dollars to get the check, like, I can't wait to get it because I'm going to call all my friends. Hey, listen, I bet y'all ain't never seen one of these before, right? And I get it, and I think it was like 510 or 505. I'm like, hold on, this is not a million dollars. <laughs> What's going on? And and I remember I called my mother, and I think that was the first time I really just like blatantly cussed, cussed in front of my mother on the phone. I'm like, Mama, who is FICA? Who is who is these people that's like, and she just instantly busts out laughing. It was like, and I say, Mama, what the F you laughing at? Because this is not funny. This is like, like, this is no laughing matter. Somebody robbed me for my money because, like, I never had a job. So I don't know nothing about taxes. And as far as financial literacy, we didn't have that where I'm from growing up. So I didn't even really know what to do with the money when I got it. So she's laughing at me talking about taxes. I'm like, medical, state, fed, like, why are they taking so much money? 
Like, what, like, who are these people? Like, why do they need all this money? Like, why can't we just give them a little piece? And, and so that was my first introduction into the real world. And it was just, it wasn't unpleasing. They turned something that was supposed to be in just like a oh, moment into just a frustrating moment. Like, wow. Right. So taxes take half my check. Right. And I asked, I said, Mama, well, how much do taxes take out of you? I think at that time she was like 21%. So why didn't he take 21% from me? Higher. Like, why, why, why is they taking 49% from me? She was like, well, baby, you in a different tax bracket. What that mean? <laughs> what, the, what do that mean? But yeah, so it did change, man. And it was a lot of learning. And for me, it was just uh, really just trying to learn the business aspect because it, all the way up until this point, football has just been fun. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so it was just really now trying to find the balance between fun and business. Did they help you with that? Did did you have oh, did you have go tos? Did they try to protect you a little bit from it? Not from a New England standpoint. You know, I had an agent, and then I had a. Uh, financial advisor and then I had another financial advisor and I think at that time and I ain't saying nobody robbed me but I think they prey on uneducated athletes and right. so because we don't have it all and they you know they teach you and they say they got fiduciary rights or they can't do this but it's like I feel like you know if that's the case we hear too many stories where financial advisors get over on clients and stealing money and this and that so it, 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 I'm not saying they were stealing but I don't feel like they really taught me uh, the whole financial literacy part. It was just, hey, we're going to put your money in CDs because it is. We're going to put this account and make this account. And then we got a bill pay account. It was just like so much going on. And for me, I just wanted to focus on football. Like all this is foreign language. So if they was taken, I was the perfect candidate because I wasn't really aware of my finances. Right. I, I just wanted to focus so much on on just playing ball, like learning this playbook. I got to get on the field. Like I get drafted to one of the the the, the America's team, sorry right. Cowboys, but the new America's team, you know, uh, and my, my, my focus was on just being a, being a football player. And I, and I felt like, well, I have my mother in position. And when I look at it back, it was like, well, it ain't too much she can do because she didn't have all the financial literacy uh, right. tools for us. And, and so when you try to think that you put a team around you with your agent and your financial advisor and another financial advisor, they, they have your best interest and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Was it hard for you to trust people or did you, are you someone that will, you know, they got to earn their trust or do you feel like you trusted too much? I think I trusted too much because I, I, I was kind of what they say, kind of green. I knew it was, you know, bad people in the world, but it was just like, I didn't think, you know, these people, because it's like I'm paying you, so there's no need to get right. over on me. Right. I think, you know, for me in my mind, it's like, well, the more money you have me make and save, it's the more money you receive. So it's like, there's no need to get over on me. But, you know, it was certain situations where just I didn't like the way it played out, don't yeah. like how things were done. You know, I've been in business for 25 years, and I've learned that – um People care about themselves. They do. And it's, 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 I'd say there's not good people in the world, but at the end of the day, people care about themselves. And 
most most of the world that I've experienced is self-serving. And so, you know, it can look a certain way on the outside, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, people's true colors do come out and it's hard. It's a hard thing. You know, I think, and if you have a big heart, you really can get taken advantage of and just- For sure. And you just watch how people change when it comes to big money. And I ain't, you know, I always been a person that I never wanted the money to change me. And, 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 I just feel like sometimes a lot of people around you change because their expectation of money has changed. How did it change so, personally? Like when, 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 I mean, did it, how did the impact from your friends, family? I mean, is that was that a pretty big deal, or was it just kind of just moving moving forward as usual? I mean, uh, I think it was moving forward as usual. And I think because I had a big heart, uh, you know, and me, like I say, not understanding money and not understanding taxes and. And me just wanted to 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 bring everybody along, uh, you know, and without a strategic uh plan, you know, it's like I get money, oh now I want to pay my mom, I want to pay my sister, I want to pay my brother. Hey, we get money, I want to make sure y'all got money, I want to make sure everybody is good without really having a, a game plan. Right, right, it's tough. So let me let me ask you this: you get to the team, talk to me about leadership. Was there anyone? that stood out or was there anything that stood out when you kind of come onto a team like that, you're ready to start as a, as a rookie um, coming from your school in, 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 in St. Louis, you come into this NFL, like you said, this is like one of the best teams in the country. And was there anyone that, that stood out to you as a strong leader that maybe didn't have an impact on you, but just from a leadership perspective on the team, was it the coaches? Was it the players? Like who really, well, we had, a, we had a lot of good leaders on the team. Uh, Man, I'm talking about a lot of good leaders. And I think, but for me, like, on every level, always being top tier when it comes to the athlete, right? And I'm not always, like, the most vocal leader. You know, I'm not the guy that's going to stand up and hype the team up. Hey, let's get out there and run through a brick wall. But I am that leader to where when I put these pads on and I step on this field, I'm going to leave with my plate and I ain't the most vocal person. So we had a lot of vocal leaders, but the guy that stood out to me was a guy that was like me to end up, you know, that's going to be a hall of famer was Corey Dillon. And he was in my position. So I really took liking to him and, you know, try to learn out of him because it was just like, he's done in, in, in doing what I'm trying to do. So it's like, yeah, y'all can sit here and tell me a good pregame speech, but Corey, listen, be in the same position. Hey, how do I become successful? What it is that I need to do? You know what I'm saying? So I tried to really mimic what he wanted to do. And I think uh, because of the negative name he, you know, in the media that he gained for himself, I think New England was really wanting me to follow another running back, uh, which he was a great running back, Kevin Falk. You know what I'm saying? But it was like, but I don't want to be a Kevin Falk. You know what I'm saying? I want to be a Corey Dillon. Like, why you want me following Falk when you when I want to be a Dillon? You know, every down back. You know what, what I'm saying? Was it, what, what was it about Corey that that drew you to him? Outside of his performance, did he did he take you under his wing? Did did he help you? Like he what? did. He did. He you know like to have a veteran presence, and I think it was one of those like he knew he was on his way out the door. Like, he knew it, you know what I'm saying? And I just, I felt like, well, you know, I got a couple years to play with him. And to me, like, I didn't really care about starting because you got to understand, I just came from Minnesota where Marion Barber was the starter every game. 
Right. You know, and so it's like I I, I know how to share. I know how to to be in a two back system. So it's like, listen, Corbett can start. Long as I know I'm going to play, you know what I'm saying? Like, long as I know I'm going to play, I'm fine. Like, I don't have to be the first person out there. Like, I didn't really care about starting. So in my mind, I was like, well, I, I can get a couple years under Corey, learn, get some knowledge, get some pointers. And hopefully, you know, they they turn the, the car over to me one day. And so, you know, it was more so he was taking me under his wing. I go in the weight room with him and just really just trying to, you know, pick his brain, you know, because he's 10 years plus, you know, as a running back, that's great. Uh, over a 10,000 yard rusher, that's Hall of Fame numbers. And so um, I definitely wanted to, you know, learn from him. And and how would you describe the difference between the leadership styles of the players versus the coaches? Well, the coaches, uh, they, they, they a lot of vocal. You got some vocal players. Coaches be vocal, and it's and it, it, but it'd be hard for me being an athlete, really, when I feel like a coach ain't ain't played it. You know, it's like, yeah, Belichick, I know you're going to be one of the greatest coaches of all time, but what football did you play? When have you played running back, and you're trying to sit here and tell me how to be a running back? And I'm not saying what you're saying uh, doesn't work, but it's like, you telling me how to do something that you never done. You know what I'm saying? So it's only so much I feel like you know. So it's like, yeah, you saying this, but then, okay, I'm going to listen to Corby because he had 10,000 yard rushes. So I know he got some. So it's like, for me, when it came to coaches, I'm not saying I didn't listen to him, but it was like, if a coach really ain't played it or been in the trenches or, you know, put that work in, it's hard to, to listen to you. I mean, I, I say it all the time. I do a lot of leadership coaching and I say, I don't want a leadership coach myself who hasn't grown a business and done the things that I'm being coached to go do. No one, nobody wants that. Right. So I, I hear that hundred percent. It doesn't matter what you're in. Um, <laughs> makes me sense. What, let me ask you a question. Was there a, is there a stereotype of, of either the, in the NFL or the players that you found to be inaccurate? Uh, break that down to me. Like what? Meaning like, the take of the average person on like what it's like. I mean, like nobody has your contacts. I mean, you were there. You did it. You were oh, there. Oh, okay. So one of the stereotypes, right? You know, um, I guess that we one of the biggest stereotypes. Oh, he's in the NFL. He's he's making a lot of money. And what's crazy is when I get on there and I find out, you know, you have practice squad people that's on the team. They're in the NFL. They don't practice squad, but they're probably making four or five thousand dollars a week. I'm like, wow. Like, but they're doing everything that we're doing. They got to go to every practice, every meeting, and getting paid significantly less. And right. then you have other people that's on, on the roster, on the contract, where they're getting league minimum right. of two. And I think at that time it was like two hundred and fifty thousand. It was just like okay, if they getting 250000 for the year, then taxes come. They really, what, coming home with a hundred grand? It's like, wow. But everybody will feel like, oh, he's in the NFL. Right. He's rich. He got money. It's like, yeah, but that's for them big contract people. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And everybody don't have them big contracts. And, and you'd be surprised on how many people on the – 53-man roster don't have a big contract. Right, right. It's crazy. 
you know, and then there's, and then there's a side that says, okay, even those guys that I guess it's better than going somewhere and punching in and punching out of some job. Yeah. But then it's like, but what you're putting your body through and what you're doing, is it right. worth it? Right. So that's another thing is that people don't have context over how trashed your body gets. Right. I mean, especially in your position, I can only imagine it hurt. Their entire- it, even from a, <laughs> Even from a that that's just from the physical part. I'm just saying, even from a mental standpoint, right. like uh, people don't see the behind the scenes of the way the coaches are talk to you at times, and you know, and it's like, man, you talking to me, you trying to belittle me right now. You know what I'm saying? And and that's why I'm saying, like, at 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 a time in my career, it even felt like to me is like. Is this money I'm making even worth it? Like, look how they talk to you. Look how they look at you. You know, because they look at it as a business and they talk so regular. It's like, hey, 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 coach, you know, you know, watch your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, did it surprise you, know, you so, how much of a business it really is? It's, it's all business. Right. It's all business because it's like every day, regardless of who you is, they're looking to replace you. Right. Right. You know, let's just be honest. Like, they only going to give you this money because they feel like they can make 10 times this off you. Right. And so once that, they don't feel like, oh, they can make it now. It's like, okay, who can we look to replace you? Or even if they can, and it's time for contracts. And it's like, oh, it's now he going to want the big money. Like, all right, well, we can't. We know we need them, but we're going to have to give them a lot of money. So can we get somebody to do something almost like him might not be do it as good as him for cheap and you got to think about it being a running back they're like buses it's running backs in every draft class for sure and, and so at that time they had brady we don't need no all-star running back so we're not gonna pay an all-star running back we can just get a, a person we can hand the ball off to a few times get them for cheap so it's like Everything is a business. And I think that what kind of took the fun away from it for me a little bit because it's like, wow. I was I'm curious. Like you you get drafted in the first round, you're excited, you're pumped up, you're ready to go. You go in there and you know, you you know, you're doing great your first year. How long did it take before your eyes opened up to what it really was? Which is that and it's not luck, it's not it makes sense that it's a business. It's a bit everything's a business, right? So, like, you know, but for someone who's just loving the game and just wants to play the game that's a hard wake up call when, when you realize it, how long did it take for you to kind of grab onto what was really happening? I think, um, it was really, I, I think after my third year, yeah. uh, a lot of us, I think Brady went down that year. I think that's the year Matt Castle came in. We had like 11 starters, her junior say, that was on IR Brady, me, it was a few of us. And when I came back to my fourth year, um, uh, it's like, they go get Fred Taylor, uh, and it was just like they started acting different. It's just like wow, and I think okay, he's getting to the end of his contract, he's performing, but then it's like he's not performing what we want him to perform, and it's just like wow, it's like I just started seeing the switch up, and it was like wow. So now it, it became frustrating because it was like I was putting the damn if I do, damn if I don't situation because it was like if I and, and, and the whole time. I'm having meetings with Belichick. They're trying to change my running style, what I run like. And it was like, for me, it was, I couldn't understand it because it's like, if you wanted this big bruising downhill, just 
power back. Like, why didn't you draft that? Like, you, I'm pretty sure this is the NFL. Y'all pay scouts a lot of money to scout talent. So my thing is, you knew what type of running back I was when you drafted me. So don't draft me to be a running back that you want me to be. Like, I would have thought you drafted me to be the running back that the reason why you drafted me for how I run. And so it's like the whole time trying to figure out the medium, like they want me to run like this, but this would running like this was got me here. And it's like, well, if I do a day way, it's uncomfortable. And if it don't work, they're going to try to sit me out or figure out a way to bench me. And if I keep doing it my way and it don't work, they're going to do the same thing. So it was like, it was, it mentally it get the plan in minds on you because now you're getting to second guess your talent. Going back to one thing you said earlier about being in college and getting everything for free and kind of enjoying, you know, kind of like that celebrity feel. When you got to the NFL, wasn't it even bigger at that point? Yeah, I learned that I see how to reach, stay rich. <laughs> because it's like, uh, once again, the rich people get all the free stuff. And I was like, oh, this is how it goes. And, but yeah, it, it was. But like, and that's why I tell people in college, like, oh, I could have stayed in college because it was the same thing uh, for me. Uh, gave college gave me a little glimpse of what the NFL gonna be, but it's just on a scale times ten. But yeah, it was the same. That's cool. That's very cool. So um, let's talk real quick about two thousand seven. So you guys go undefeated, and you scored a touchdown in the it was in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, the first one. Yeah, and. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I'm not even going to ask how hard it was because I can only imagine that was a just brutal, brutal, brutal game. Um, but just talk to me about that year. I mean, were you were you are you on cloud nine that year? I mean, was the team was well, just well, listen. So it was a, it was one of those type years for me, right? So I say that to say because we we have a, we that year we get a new we get. All new receivers. We get Dante Stallworth, Wells Welker, Randy Moss. Um, then that's the year I think uh, Josh McDaniels leave and go to Denver, right? And then that's the year the spy gating happened at the beginning of the year for the, the ball deflating. So it was like we already in the headlines. And so at the first half of the season, I was really absent. Because it was really a passing game. And you know how they're they talking, oh, Maroney this, Maroney that. But it was like it was just a, a earth attack, right? And then, you know, as the second half of the season started progressing and the weather changing, as is when I really started coming on and 100 yard game here, 100 yard game there. Um, and so when we get to week 16, I had two touchdowns, 94 yards against the Giants. Uh, Moss had two touchdowns. I think that's the game. Brady and Moss broke the record for 50 touchdowns and 23 touchdowns receiving for Moss and 50 for Brady. Uh, or one of them. Um, and so then we get into the playoffs, and I have hundred some 120-some yards back-to-back in the playoff games with touchdowns. So it's like, now nah, I'm on fire. You know what I'm saying? I might not have did nothing the first half. Yeah, I was talking about me the first half, but you're loving me now. And it's just, and that's the thing too, the media, man, is just really they 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 there for a job. You know, one minute they're your friends, next minute they there to tear you down. And so you gotta 
like I say, mentally be strong enough to deal with it because it's just like they was, you know, not not stoning me, but, you know, they was talking bad at the first half. And it's just like, is y'all watching the games like I'm watching them? They're not handing it off. It's a lot of passing going on. Like, how do you expect me to get 100 yards when I'm getting the ball eight times a game? Like, what do you want? But the second half, I came on strong. Uh, like I say, in the playoff games, came on strong. And so when we get to the Super Bowl, we playing the Giants again, I say, in my mind, ooh, look at this early Christmas present. Like, we just beat them week 16 to go 16-0. and 0. I had almost 100 yards, two touchdowns against the Giants. Oh, yeah. This is an early Christmas present for us. And we get out there in Arizona, nice and hot, and they want to go back to this air attack. I'm like, oh. <laughs> what? What did? What just got us here? And I'm not saying the air attack didn't get us here, but it's like the second half. If anybody really watches that season, the run game started bringing us home, and it was like, you know, if you watch football, they had three fourteen. It was like so you they naturally create holes because they are two cap team. They don't really penetrate. They sit there at the line and. A lineman got to control two holes, so he's not really picking a hole or penetrating. He just want to try to hold the line up and see which way you go. It's like a cat and mouse. So all I'm saying is we can get three, four yards every time, keep the chains moving. And they just went to a different game plan. And as you can see, they tried to go back and do all that passing with Welker and Moss and all that. And they had a game plan for that. They must have knew we was going to do that. And they got to coming with blitzes and – it was just too much. Tough loss, man. Uh, on, a, on a better note, when did you get to do the commercial where you jumped through the car? Ooh, ooh, oh, man. I think that was in 2008 or nine. That I mean, was when, I think that that was when fantasy football, before, that's when fantasy football first, I tell people all the time, that's when fantasy football first came out. And nobody was really on it. You know, not like now in today's age, like fantasy football is, is that, you know, is, is that. But this when it first started and these was commercials to get people on the fantasy, like, right. the, hey, try this fantasy football and, you know, pick this player. And that was one of those ones to where we was the first commercials. Reebok had the first commercials for fantasy football. They was called the Fantasy Files. And basically why all these athletes that was under Reebok, why you should pick them on your fantasy football team. And I think I don't they came up with it. I think I had one of the best ones that they came oh up with. Oh my gosh. I mean, first off, I used to play in a high stakes fantasy football to the point where the people we played with, my buddy and I put it on, there were guys that flew out like into like Vegas and they were like out there doing the drafts and they were going to people's camps and they were like doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It was because it was high stakes. People were making a lot of money. Yeah. And I remember your commercial. And so when I got, when I got the email that I was going to get a chance to meet, I'm like, no way. And I looked it up and I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so did, was it your idea to do that? No, it was all Reeboks. Like no, I didn't know the car. No, that was all Reeboks. Like it was already set in stone. I didn't know what the commercial was. Uh, I didn't know what it was gonna be about. Like I didn't even like. I just knew it was a Reebok commercial for Fantasy Fouls, and so 
technically when we doing it right, and so we all know I didn't go through the car. Right. You know, it's a special effects. And so I'm running up to the car. Then they move the car out the way. Then I keep running. Then I got to dive on the little blue mat. I think I did that about a million times until they felt like they got the right view. And then, uh, then I then I, I lay in the car and they take pictures or wow. whatever. But it looks like that, you're going through. Because basically... They have video and pictures like basically say still shots of me like I'm laying on the console with my feet up and I'm stretching my arms out. So I am actually in the car laying through the windows, you know, and then on the come out part, basically, I'm on the passenger side. And when they say action, it's like I got a flip and roll. Right. right. And so and I still didn't know how this was all going to work out. I remember before the commercial came out, they sent it to me. I said, oh, my God. It's crazy. I said, wow. And I'm talking about even like when you pause the pause, it, it's like you see my body in the front windshield. Let me tell you something. When I play that in this interview while we're talking about it, trust me, people are going to be shocked that it's not real. Man, listen. Well, I hate, listen, I hate the Buster Bubble, but to anybody else, it was real. <laughs> I tell my friends all the time, they used to call me like, man, was that real? I say, is it money on the line? They're like, yeah, yeah, it was real. It was for sure real. <laughs> but man, it was an amazing, amazing thing. So what you, happened? Know, so you got you got um, a deal with Reebok? That's how that works. So yeah, I was signed to Reebok. And so if you ever noticed, like at that era, like I was in a lot of Reebok commercials, like the migration one. Uh, I was in a Models commercial with Reebok. So it was like, man, Reebok was utilizing me. And I was loving They was putting me in all the commercials. And I, you know, I, I wanted to do acting. So, you know, I, I'm i jumping into getting every commercial. And, and I noticed, you know, too, uh, being in front of that camera just helped your brand. It just, it just make you become more of a household name because it's like they're constantly seeing you. And now it's a chance to see me without the helmet because it's like, yeah, everybody know Maroney when you see the jersey. But, you know, I got a helmet on a lot of times. So it's like doing these commercials and being in front of that camera actually give them a chance to see me without a helmet on. It was like, oh, that's Maroney. Oh, so it was it was great. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So so talk to me about post football. So you, you get done with the NFL. Was that culture shock transitioning? It was because um Football brought so much, right, and to my life, right? Sports, not even saying football, but sports brought so much to my life, and it was a, a major part of my life, so I think that was a big part of my identity. And so when 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 it was over, you know, I, I felt like I lost a big part of my identity or who I am is like not saying, oh, I'm me because of sports, but in a sense, I am me because of sports. And so when it was gone, it's like, who am I? And so for about from 14, even to now, but from 14 to 18, like I suffered deep depression, anxiety, um, a lot, you know, um, and really trying to figure myself out. And, and really, I felt like I was, I dug myself in a hole so deep, but it was just like a never ending, like I'm never going to get out this hole. 
financially, uh, I didn't have, like I say, financial literacy, didn't have that. So a lot of money that I did have was going and dwindling down. Uh, and it was like, how am I going to survive? Like, how do I get out this funk? Like, what am I going to do? That's why, like I say, 2012 was like my last event with my foundation because it's like it's hard to really do anything when you need help yourself. Right. And so uh, 2018, I met my lady and then a lot of good blessings actually happened to where financially I was able to start digging myself out of this hole and get on solid ground, but mentally I still wasn't there. Who was your who was your rock? Who was your go-to during this tough time? Um so one of my guys, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, which I played with, they they called him the law firm. He was he uh you know I got a lot of good tough love from him. You know, didn't really give me a pity party, uh, which I thought I probably needed, but I but I did need, but I thought at the time I needed a pity party. Uh, but mentally he kept me pushing and kept me driving to 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 get out the hole and, and kept me working and kept me, you know, believing in self. And so then, like I say, then on help, when I met my lady in 18, she became to be a part uh a rock for me that Benny couldn't be, you know. Um, and so once I was able to get out the hole and, and was cool, like sub what cool again, uh, it was more so I wanted to be out of sight, out of mind. It's like, you know, uh, social media now has became and, and took off. Now it's real big. Now it's probably been 10 years since I've been in front of a camera. It's like, am I even still known? Dude? Like, you know, a lot of stuff was going through my mind. It was just like at this point, well, listen, I've been behind the scenes so long. Well, I just stay there, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And like I say, my lady kept just punching me, punching me, punching me. Like, hey, no, your life is meant for more. And it was like, and I really couldn't see it because, like I say, I was been de dealing with my depression and anxiety and all this stuff. And she was like, your story has to be told, has to get out there. You know, you can help people with your story. It's like, how many times do people come from nothing? get the world, lose it all, and get it back. And it was just like, I don't know. And and it was like, it was it was like pulling teeth with me, like, no, you need to get back out here, get out here in the community. And I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. You know, I'm 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 all right where I'm at. And I'm back on solid ground. I just stay in my little shell, in my little cave and mind my business and, you know, raise these kids. And she constantly, every year, hey, no, you need this, your life is meant for more. And so this year, it's like, I just, like, well, you know, last year I started buying into it. Like, all right, listen, if you see greater and better things for me that I'm just not seeing, then I, I, I take a leap of faith and get back out here. And so, you know, we start doing, uh, getting my foundation reinstated and, and going. And we put on our first event this May. We did it this May. It was May 6th. We did an athlete mental awareness event, you know, one to connect the community with the resources and one for me to get the resources in because I dealt with it. And to, if, you know, any athlete or any people that was dealing with mental health issues and to let them know uh, it's okay not to be okay. And the worst thing you can do is suffer in silence. And that's a lot of things that I was doing because I was used to being the 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 provider the rock for everybody to where at this point I feel like I had to continue to be even though 
I wasn't in the best position. So it's like I was suffering in silence. And so I just wanted to put this event on, which is going, I'm, I'm going to do every year and just bring the resources to mental health and keep it, you know, so uh, I can reach one, teach one. I would imagine you can connect with these kids pretty well. I'm sure they can connect with you really good because you got, you're a very genuine person. I mean, like, you know, what you see is what you get for sure. And uh, I appreciate that. I've always been very transparent and I know people appreciate it because just the fakeness and the insincerity that people will have either when they're just meeting with people or just in general, and kids can see right through that too. So I, I would imagine you connect with them pretty, pretty deep. For sure. Like, like you got to understand, man. Um, Like when you being fake, it's like, you're not being fake to others. You just lying to yourself. And it's like the only way for me to even deal with my issues and to move forward is to be honest about them. You know what I'm saying? I can sit here and, oh, life being great out the football all I want. But I know in reality, it hasn't. It hasn't been all peaches and cream. It's just like, yeah, I can keep telling myself lies. Like, oh, it's been great, and I'm never going to progress. I'm never going to move forward. Like, mental health is not something that it's a cure. Like, I can give you a cure, and it just it goes away. It's just really teaching people how to cope with with their with their episodes to to lessens the the episodes when they do have them uh, and so and that's what it is and like I just want to be honest with self because I've been lying to self for so long that I'm just tired of lying to myself so it's like I have to have to be honest with it I have to be honest with myself and yeah. if my honesty can help the next kid athlete or an adult then I want to tell them my honest story so most people's addictions stem from not knowing how to cope. So they numb themselves and that's where addiction comes from, right? So how how do people cope? Someone comes to you, some kid who's struggling, whatever it is, like, and, you, and you're trying to teach them and it doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it's a process. It's a marathon, right? Some people choose therapy. Some people have medication. Some people, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can find ways to cope. Some people will will tell people that you have to find something that you love that's healthy to replace whatever negative- so what 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 has been either a go-to for you or what have you learned or how would you advise and what, what kind of advice could you give someone who's trying to learn how to cope and they have no no context and and no help? Well, once I tell them, listen, one, we got to find things that you love to do, whether that's eating healthier because that helps with mental health, the the healthy eating, the healthy lifestyle, working out can 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 lower stress, whether it's lifting weights, running, jogging, yoga, um, find a hobby. You know, for me, like, you know, as childish as this going to sound, like my little, uh, my little piece, hold on, my little piece uh, was video games. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it sounds childish, but that was one of my little comfort zone that, that takes me away and, you know, helped me you know, straighten my mind, clear my mind, and, and, and give me away. So with my event, like I say, I had therapists there. I had different resources there from financial resources because some people' mental issues is finance. Some men, people' mental issues is is weight. So I had gym owners there. Uh, I had therapists there. Uh, so it's like I tried to cover as many aspects as mental health as possible because everybody mental health ain't the same. I had uh, suicide prevention. It was just so many different ways to resources to try to help people with all their different things. But I had a meditation station set up, had arts and crafts, had a gaming truck, 
it was just like like my thing is I know I can't cure your stuff overnight, but for these four hours or five hours, I just want you to be able to get away, relax. You know what I'm saying? Feel free. Very cool. It's very cool. People want to look up the, the foundation. Where do they go? Uh, LM39foundation.com. Okay, cool. Very cool. And the LM39 Foundation on Facebook and Instagram. So I'm curious, last question I got for you because I know our time's running out. You know, when you talked about the identity piece, that's such a big deal. You know, in the leadership um, program that I, I've been involved with, the identity piece is a, is a big one because we do, we attach ourselves to who we, we are maybe in a position. And those titles, those labels, they are not your true identity. They are temporary. Right. And your story is a perfect example of, of that, right? And it's, everybody can say it. A CEO can say it. Anyone can say it. Have you figured out who you are? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I, I have. And the more I get out here, the more I've been figuring out who I am because I really thought I was Lawrence Maroney because of sports. Right. But at the end of the day, with or without sports, I'm still Lawrence Maroney. And it was hard for me to figure that part out because I thought I was only Lawrence Maroney because of the greatness I was as being an athlete. And so the more I got out here and the more it was like I seen people like excited to see me or, man, you I love watching you. And I just seen how much joy I brought them is like, wow, I haven't did a sport or played a game since 2011 over 12 years. And that same excitement is still here for a lot of people when they see me. Oh, can we take a picture? So it's like, wow, OK, I must be some more than the job I did. Right. And so the more and more I get out here, the more and more I start to realize that regardless of what I do, what's in my bank account, I'm still Lawrence Maroney at the end of the day. Right. My friend, I really appreciate you spending time with me. And I appreciate it. Love and health and success with your foundation and with your life and everything that you're all in your endeavors that you're in. Um, I'm a big fan of you. I, I think it's great. I, I love watching you. I love the commercial. I love you more in person now. And <laughs> forward to delivering a cool article for you. Some cool. Man, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome, my friend. You have a great weekend and I look forward to, to connecting with you again. Okay. All right. Thank you. Let's take care. Have a good one. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye.